0: Corporate tyranny doesn't happen in nature. It happens when government interferes. More after the drop. What's up, capitalists? Hey, it's your, uh, warm and fuzzy, helpful, lovable, pal Nate Houseman bringing you some stories from around the internet. And we're gonna point and laugh at some Hollywood... Swellheads, we're going to point and stare at some crooked politicians, and we're going to do some waking up here. So we're going to see that we haven't had a real free market economy for several, for many, many years. But we're going to, because the people are waking up. So if you like what you hear, uh, please share this program and give it a thumbs up if you're on Facebook, Odyssey, or if you're listening on podcast. I don't think I'm going to... Upload to YouTube anymore. It just takes forever, and they don't like it when people say that Joe Biden's not the real president. So, I think it's like a lemon. Before we get started, let me tell you how you can uh, support yourself, do yourself a favor, and support the program in the process. Click on the Linktree link in the uh, description of this post or um, show notes, and you'll have um, you'll see some affiliate links to some very helpful resources. Now ask yourself, how do the uh, super wealthy become super wealthy? Now, exploitation is definitely part of it. What the wealthy do is they don't really work for money, they work for assets. You see like corporate billionaire corporate executives, they're billionaires because I mean they 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 have um salaries and bonuses, but most of their fortune comes from company stock. And a lot of, you know, wealthy wealthy individuals, they also buy collectibles like antiques, fine art, even comic books and Pokemon cards. These assets maintain or grow in value. And that's important because the dollar sure as hell doesn't maintain value. So what you need to do is, and it's, you know, you can purchase your own assets. You can click on the link to Acre Gold, start a subscription, and you'll have actual physical gold delivered to your, delivered to your address. Or you can click on the link to uphold, and they make it really easy to buy cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, Ether, and the most most established, well-trusted cryptocurrencies. Let me tell you, Bitcoin is the best thing that's ever happened to me financially. It's given me a very nice cushion that lets me um, do these videos and work on my own terms. And Bitcoin is only getting started. So jump on the movement to uh, take control of your money. So. And there's quite a few other assets that I think you might find helpful too. So, user referral links. So I'll get commission, but I pick these. I pick these resources because I really believe they'll help you out too. So get on it. Let's start with the economic news. This is from theStreet.com. Doubt ends up 600 points. Stocks bounced back from Omicron fears. Uh, stocks finished sharply higher Thursday as Wall Street looks to move beyond fears about the Omicron variant. And this this article talks about okay, we're not so worried about the Omicron variant, but I would wager they were worried about something else. Let's move. Let's sh- and it would be this on CNBC. Biden says he doesn't want lockdowns. And won't expand vaccine mandates to fight COVID this winter. So, I think what people weren't fearing wasn't so much the virus or the variant; it was the government's reaction to the to the um, to the variant. Um, we're going to see how government has its finger on the scales of free trade and fair markets, and we're going to we're going to go through a lot of articles about that. So-called President Joe Biden said Thursday his plan to fight COVID during the winter does not include shutdowns or lockdowns. He also said the plan does not expand the current federal vaccine mandates. Uh, The so-called President said his plan focuses more on booster shots and more testing. We are in a better position than we were a year ago to fight COVID-19, he said. So, he said on Thursday his plan to fight COVID during the winter Months will not include new lockdowns or an expansion of the administration's current vaccination requirements. And the reason why those expansions aren't happening is because they're being shot down in the courts. The The vaccine mandate doesn't really have a leg to stand on. And it looks like the courts are really coming to the uh, people's defense. Now, it's, um, we see all these crooked politicians, and there are lots of crooked judges in state and federal levels but president trump replaced a lot of the judges the federal judges and they're coming they are coming to the people's defense let's look at the stock market and it looks like the dow jones industrial is up nasdaq is up by like 1 1.82% 083 percent the s&p is up 1.42% gold is up and these are these are good numbers if you're on the stock market. Let's look at cryptocurrency. Mostly red, but let's look at the percentages here. 0.14% for Bitcoin, uh 0.21% on Bitcoin on the Coinbase um exchange. It looks like a bit it looks. It might look like you know, Bitcoin cryptocurrency is going down, but a dip in cryptocurrency is a one a one percent dip in cryptocurrency is not a big deal. Not as big a deal as a one percent dipper bump in the stock market. It's like people people sweat over you know little little changes in the stock market. When you trade when you invest and trade in cryptocurrency, it's like. Nothing. No big deal. So let's keep going here. Let's look at some of the um, hemming and hawing going on in the U.S. Congress. U.S. Senate passes bill to avert government shutdown. Sends to Biden for signature. This is from Reuters. Now, there's lots of hemming. There's lots of debate about the um, about the debt ceiling. And the way to think about a debt ceiling is like, the credit limit. You have a credit limit on your credit card. That's how much you can. That's how. That's how much you can spend on it before it's before you start having to like paying back the balance. That's what the debt ceiling is for the government. The government borrows money from the central bank, which in this country is the Federal Reserve. And what's funny is the government can actually decide what its debt, debt ceiling is going to be. So, and they have like. They act like they're, you know, debating it, but the bank probably wants them to uh, raise it because the more debt, the more debt the government's in, the more control the banks have over the government. So they just made a deal right now, but according to this article by Fox Business, as soon as it pops up. There's going to be a lot more deadlines in the month of December. Congress in for a dramatic December with drastic deadlines from debt limit to defense. Members of Congress are returning from Thanksgiving with a raft of urgent deadlines and major issues in front of them, including two bills to avert economic crisis and the biggest piece of so-called President Biden's economic agenda. Here's what the Senate and House face in a high-stakes December. And... Government shutdown. I bet the people in Australia would love a government shutdown. I think they probably feel like they have too much government. Did you hear about the um, three young men, really teenagers, who had to escape, who tried to escape from a from a quarantine camp in Australia? The dead ceiling. The dead ceiling battle has the highest stakes of any issue Congress faces in December, as a debt default would likely lead to catastrophic economic consequences. For whom, I wonder. Uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that the government has the money to cover its expenses until December 15th. It is possible she may be able to stretch that timeline even longer, but it is not clear by how much. Republicans demanded earlier this fall, the Democrats pass a debt ceiling hike on their own, with no GOP votes. This would require them to use the reconciliation process in the Senate, which the Republicans argued was fair... Because Democrats are using the same process to avoid a filibuster and pass their massive spending the bill on party lines, Democrats staunchly oppose this, demanding a bipartisan vote. Now, the reason why the debt ceiling is such a big deal right now is they're still they're still working on the uh, inf- the uh, the infrastructure bill, which isn't really infrastructure. It's like only maybe 10 or 11 percent dedicated to infrastructure. Most of the uh, bill is probably, you know, a huge gift basket to special interests. As Congress marched toward a potential government shutdown with Democrats refusing to cave, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell changed his stance and found some Republican votes to raise the debt ceiling. He swore Republicans would not help Democrats raise the debt limit again. Well, Mitch McConnell doesn't really have a leg to stand on either. Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, a lot of these Washington Republicans, they, um, they're, 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 they're just not, they're just not really there. Like, they had a chance to, um, implement the conservative agenda when Trump was in his first term. They had the chance to, uh, like, repeal Obamacare. They had a chance to, um, cut taxes huge. And they just, you know, didn't bother. And DC Republicans are useless. Now, Republicans at the state level, like the governors in states like Florida, in my state in Iowa, they're they're still the good guys. They're still they're still genuine. But the Republicans might as well just the Republicans in Washington just might as well it might as well just be pro wrestling. Now, what does the rightful president have to say about the debt ceiling. This is from the Washington Times. Trump demands Senate GOP show strength by using debt limit to kill Biden's social welfare bill. Rightful president Donald Trump urged Senate Republicans on, on Tuesday to use the looming debt ceiling deadline to pressure Democrats into abandoning the White House's roughly 1.775 trillion social welfare bill. Mr. Trump, a leading figure in the GOP, proud Minority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky to refuse any efforts to hike the debt ceiling, even at the risk of a default on U.S. debts. Old, quote, Old Crow Mitch McConnell, who's getting beaten on every front by the radical left Democrats since giving them a two-month delay, which allowed them to get their act together, must be fully prepared to use the debt ceiling in order to totally kill the Democrats' new social spending Wasting bill, which will change our country forever," said Mr. Trump in a statement. He has long been a fierce critic of Mr. McConnell. The former, the uh, Rifle President, argued that by weaponizing the debt ceiling, Republicans could pressure Democrats into choosing between paying federal debts and passing, you know, so-called President Biden's massive social welfare and climate bill. Use the debt ceiling, Mitch Show strength and courage," he added. "Our country is being destroyed." The debt limit is currently set at 2.28.9 trillion, and the Treasury is using extraordinary measures to reshuffle cash and keep the government solvent. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said the government will reach the debt limit by December 15th, which we saw earlier. If Congress does not raise the debt ceiling in time, the Treasury will be forced to decide which bills get paid and which don't get paid. Mr. Trump's statement came one day after Senator Joe Manchin Admitted publicly, Democrats were weighing a GOP offer to strike a deal to raise the debt limit. I understand Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senator McConnell have been speaking about this or maybe trying to find a pathway forward and hopefully we'll find one, said Mr. Manchin, a West Virginia Democrat. I think it's our responsibility to make sure we take care of the debt ceiling. Democrats are now in control, so we want to make sure we do it and do it right. Under the proposal, which is the brainchild of Republican Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, Democrats would raise the budget reconciliation process to raise the debt ceiling. Reconciliation, which Democrats are using in an effort to pass Mr. Biden's roughly $1.75 trillion bill, allows some tax and spending measures to avert the Senate's 60-vote filibuster threshold and pass by a simple majority. And, once again... The infrastructure bill, or the social welfare bill, is not really a social welfare or infrastructure bill. It's a gift basket to um, all the um, special interests, all the uh, donors. You know, I saw a meme the other day on Facebook where Dr. Evil says, money laundering will not be referred to as infrastructure spending. So, the people know what's up. Now let's look at what Janet Yellen is saying. Besides the uh, December fifteenth deadline, Yellen says cutting some tariffs on Chinese goods could ease price pressures. Uh, this is Reuters again. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who I believe was also was the former um, um, Federal Reserve chair chairperson, she was on the she was on the Federal Reserve. Now she's the Treasury Secretary, so she's just a mover. And she's just a big shot, isn't she? She said on Thursday that lowering Trump-era tariffs on imported goods from China through a revived exclusion process could help ease some inflationary pressures, but would be no game-changer. Yellen told the Reuters next conference that she thinks the tariffs of up to 25% on hundreds of billions of dollars' worth of annual imports from China do contribute to higher prices in the United States. So, and inflation doesn't. More money More dollars in the supply doesn't raise prices. The Trump tariffs that were put in place, some of them create problems without having any real strategic justification, she she added. Previous product-specific exclusions from tariffs on Chinese goods had expired at the end of 2020, but U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai has launched a new targeted tariff exclusion process as part of her agreement engagement with Chinese officials on the Phase 1 trade deal signed early 2020. So, they just don't like tariffs. But to you know who did like tariffs, the founding fathers. You know, not income taxes were taxes were not originally really part of you know the American government. They were only included in the system when the central, U.S. central bank was introduced in 1913. Um, you got the. Uh, the central bank and the IRS go hand in hand and for the, for, for the first like few hundred years of the, for the first 100 years or so of America's existence the government was funded by tariffs it was other countries who paid our taxes the citizens didn't really have to do much so when you whenever you hear some libertarian like whenever you see some libertarian post on social media taxation and stuff it's like Really, the 16th Amendment that created the IRS, it's, when you look at the history, it's like, was that really passed on the up and up? Consider that. Now, also, why do they have such a uh, animus towards tariffs on China? Well, they don't call Biden, Beijing Biden for nothing. We're going to the uh, New York Post here. Now, I'm really impressed with the New York Post lately. I've been sharing a lot of their articles on my own blog here. This is from this is by Miranda Devine, and this is a this is an excerpt from her book "Laptop from Hell." Joe Biden was involved in a deal with a Chinese giant, and was expecting a 10% cut. Now I won't read the whole excerpt here because because it it's pretty lengthy, but it says here in her new book "Laptop from Hell," post columnist Miranda Devine. Reconstructs the Biden family's request for cash by using files left on Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop. Sunday, she detailed how Hunter and his uncle Jim Biden entered into a deal with Chinese government-linked energy conglomerate CEFC and contacted businessman Tony Bobulinski to run the enterprise. Here, Bobolinsky meets the big guy, Joe Biden himself. Hunter Biden and his uncle Jim were already waiting for Tony Bobolinsky in the lobby bar of the Beverly Hilton when he arrived at 10 p.m. May 2nd, 2, 2017. The Bidens had chosen a discreet couch behind a thick marble column where they could see everyone who walked in the front entrance. Joe Biden, who had left the Vice President's office a little more than three months before, was flying to Los Angeles to speak to the, at the prestigious Milken Institute Global Conference and would be joining them at the bar within the hour. Bob Linsky, 48, a third-generation Navy veteran, and Democratic donor for for Bobulinski, it'll be his first meeting with Joe Biden, and he was conscious that he was being vetted for a trusted role orchestrating the fa- Biden's family existing joint venture with Chinese energy conglomerate CEFC. Dad, not now, not in now until 11. Hunter wrote in a WhatsApp message, "It's me, you, and Jim. Meet at 10 at Beverly Hilton, where he's staying." So, this is how Bobolinsky this Bobolinsky gent, kind of got into their inner circle. Bobulinski stood up to shake Joe's hand. This is Tony, Dad, said Hunter, the individual I told you about that's helping with the business they're working on with the Chinese. Joe Biden began talking about the Biden family, their tragedies, tragedies, and his political career. Bobolinsky described his background as a captain of the Penn State wrestling team and briefly outlined an impressive resume, including as a nuclear engineer and instructor in the Navy's elite nuclear power training command with a high-level security clearance. Thank you for your service, Joe said. Thank you for helping my son. Jim and Hunter told Joe that Bobolinsky had been working hard on the Chinese deal, and Joe said, My son and my brother trust you emphatically, so I trust you. Bob Alinsky had passed the test. It was a crucial meeting, because for the first time, an outsider would see the extent to which Joe was involved in Hunter and Jim's international business. Joe... Was the final decision maker. Nothing important was done without his agreement. So, the uh, this, the article goes on, and he and and kind of realizes, oh, this is um, this family is shady as all hell. Um, for two hours, Bobolensky was regaled in Biden family folklore. This is at another meeting. Going back to Joe's first Senate election in Delaware in 1972, when Jim, then 23, dabbling in the nightclub business after dropping out of the University of Delaware, became his brother's chief fundraiser. Jim filled him in on the efforts he and Hunter made for C- the CEFC the past two years, leveraging Joe's name to advance the Chinese Communist Party's Belt and Road agenda around the world. As Jim talked, Bob Linsky marveled at the political risk to Joe's career, if his family's flagrant influence peddling during his vice-presidency came to light. How are you guys getting away with this, he finally asked. Aren't you concerned that you're going to put your brother's 2020 presidential campaign at risk? You know, the Chinese, the stuff you guys are doing already in 2015 and 2016 around the world. Jim chuckled and looked knowingly at Bob Plausible deniability, he said, a term coined by the CIA during the Kennedy administration, described the practice of keeping the president uninformed about illegal or unsavory activity, so he can plausibly deny knowing anything if it became, becomes public knowledge. Bobolinski understood Jim meant that Joe knew what his family was doing in his name, but was insulated from the dirty details. It was why Jim and Hunter had instructed Bobulinski the previous night to keep the business talk with Joe at a vague high level. So... A few quotes here. Basically, Bob Lindsay kind of started to understand like all the innuendo and um, kind of like inside code that the, the Biden family used for like you know their dealings and surreptitiously keeping Joe in the loop. And Bob Linsky eventually had enough of it. Three years later, Bob Linsky would tell the world, "There is no question that the big guy is Joe Biden." Equity would be distributed as follows. 10 held by H for the big guy. So. They made this huge deal with a Chinese company, which. If you know, if you understand that China is a communist country, any Chinese company is really just an extension of. The government and the Chinese Communist Party. So. There's that. And here's another example of some insider dealing here. Reuters chairman is Pfizer investor and board member. Now, the uh, chairman and former chief executive, chief CEO of the Reuters news agency, James C. Smith, is a top investor and board member for pharmaceuticals giant Pfizer. He was elected to the board uh, in 2014, as well as joining Pfizer's corporate governance and science and technology committees. The news raises serious conflict of interest concerns as corporate media outlets, such as Reuters, continue to promote Pfizer products, defend pharmaceutical companies from criticism, and move to sound skeptics. Smith is currently um, Smith is currently the chairman of the Thompson Reuters Foundation, the London-based charity known for providing news and information to billions of readers. He was also the president, CEO, and on the board of, board of, board of directors, of Reuters from 2012 until his retirement in 2020. So this isn't quite go- quite government, but is it really? You know, how many um, how many uh board members on Pfizer have you know dealings? How many like investments do senators and congress members have in these companies? You know um. And in, in, in the last program, we saw how Pfizer stock has done pretty well because of its favorable, you know, relationship with the FDA compared to like Moderna and Johnson and Johnson. So it's all people. It's like what liberals and leftists complain about corporations. Conservatives and right wingers complain about government interference, and in, in reality, it's all a interconnected tangle. And we see even more of that in this next article. The four families of California, Newsom's, Brown's, Pelosi's, and Gettys. This is a, from a blog, uh, Mining Awareness, on WordPress.com. Gavin Newsom is not simply an arrogant SOB. He is heir to a political machine, that has done much to destroy California and the United States for decades. This is a great five-minute summary. It was banned from YouTube, but someone saved it to shoot. Despite the title, the four families are actually Newsom, Brown, Pelosi, Getty, with Feinstein, with Diane Feinstein, Maxine Waters, and Adam Schiff mentioned. So if you want to pull up this article, it's uh just just Google search The Four Families of California, or even better, look for it on DougDuckGo. I won't play the uh, video, but we'll kind of go over the uh, article's analysis of it. Oh, here's a transcript. Gavinism is succeeding someone who could be considered his quasi-uncle. Since his inauguration continues a decades-long saga of four San Francisco families intertwined by blood, marriage, by money, by culture, and, of course, by politics. The Browns, the Newsoms, the Pelosi's, and the Gettys. The connection dates back at least 80 years to when Jerry Brown's father, Pat Brown, ran for the San Francisco District Attorney, losing in 1939 but winning in 1943 with the help of his close friend and Gavin Newsom's grandfather, businessman William Newsom. Fast forward two decades, Go- Governor Pat Brown's administration developed Squaw Valley for the 1960s Winter Olympics, and afterward awarded concession to operate it to William Newsom and his Newsom and his partner. John Pelosi. One of Pelosi's sons, Paul, married Nancy D'Alessandro, who is Nancy Pelosi today, who went into politics and has now reclaimed speakership of the House of Representatives. Another Pelosi's son married William Newsom's daughter, Barbara. Until they divorced, that made Nancy Pelosi something like an aunt by marriage to Gavin Newsom. Nancy Pelosi's brother-in-law was Gavin Newsom's uncle. The Squaw Valley concession was controversial at the time and created something of a rupture between the two old friends. William Newsom wanted to make significant improvements to the ski complex, including the convention center, but Brown's Department of Parks and Recreation balked. Newsom and his son, an attorney also named William, held a series of contentious meetings with officials over the issue. An eight-page memo about those 1966 meetings from the department's director, Fred Jones, buried in the Pat Brown archives describes the Newsoms as being embittered and the senior Newsom threatening to hurt the governor politically as Brown as Brown ran for the third term that year against Ronald Reagan. Pat Brown's bid for a third term failed, and the Reagan administration later brought out the Newsom concession. But the Brown Newsom connection continued as Brown's son, Jerry, reclaimed the governorship in nineteen seventy four. He appointed the will, younger William Newsom personal friend and Gavin's father to a Placer County Judgeship in 1975 and three years later to the State Court of Appeal. Justice Newsom, who died a few weeks ago, had been an attorney for oil magnate J. Paul Getty, most famously delivering three million dollars to Italian kidnappers (coughs) of Getty's grandson in 1973. While serving on the appellate bench in the 1980s, (coughs) that helped Getty's son, Gordon, secure a change in state trust law that allowed him to claim his share of a multi-air trust. So, what we see so far is business people in one family helping another family. Um, you know, score score wins in politics and backbiting, and then those government politicians giving sweetheart deals to those business people. After Newsom retired from the bench in 1995, he became administrator of Gordon Getty's own trust, telling one interviewer, "I make my living working for Gordon Getty." The trust provided seed money for the plump, jack chain of restaurants and wine shops that Newsom's son Gavin and Gordon Getty's son Billy developed. The first being in the Swag Valley Hotel. Ah, Swag Valley again. Gavin Newsom had been formally adopted by the Gettys after his parents divorced. Uh, returning a similar favor that the Newsom family had done for a, a young Gordon Getty many years earlier. Newsom's plump jack business, named for an opera that Gattie, Gordon Getty wrote, led to a career in San Francisco politics, ascended as mayor, the lieutenant governorship, and now the governorship, succeeding his father's old friend. Now, some analysis by the um, article here. Uh, to the best of our knowledge, the description is true, and the video true or almost entirely true. We haven't been able to confirm the alleged Edmund Joseph Brown gambling operation, nor the connection between Pelosi's father and heroin smuggling with mobster Luciano. That, they mentioned uh, Lucky Luciano, the, uh, really the founder of the American Mafia. These families may indeed be in Mafia, but Pelosi and Ilk appear too dishonorable for to be in the Mafia. Check it out. Do your own research. Our research suggests that the connections are older and uglier than presented here. The alleged heroin smuggling would fit in with Pelosi supporting the collapse of Afghanistan and illegal migration of drug cartel members. So, yeah, so many drug cartels and illegal aliens are pouring through uh, Califor- the California through California. You kind of wonder why. But Nancy Pelosi's got some problems, and really, the whole Democrat Party's got some problems. Let's look at this next article. article. From BeckerNews.com, 19th Democrat abandons Pelosi led party ahead of coming 2022 midterms bloodbath. December 1st by Kyle Becker. This guy's a very big blogger here. The bloodbath in the House continues for the Democratic Party, as yet another congressman is abandoning the Pelosi led party ahead of the coming 22 midterms reckoning. So, have you heard of all these Democrats in the House of Representatives? They're deciding. Oh, I'm not going to run for re-election in 2022. Representatives in the House of Representatives, they have to run every two years, and most Congress people make make a career, make a lifetime career out of it. But a lot of Democrats are ducking out, and we're gonna we're gonna figure out why in this a little bit here. So, Oregon Democrat Representative Peter DeFazio, House Transportation Chair, is retiring. Several sources tell us. NBC's Jake Sherman reported Wednesday. The Democratic group would be the 19th to abandon their seats ahead of an expected shellacking in the 2022 elections. 18 House Democrats are taking a hike come January 2023. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's spot up top may be available for another Democrat if the party holds on to their razor within the majority, Fox News reported. Pelosi, the Democrat from California, has yet to officially announce the decision for 2022 and beyond. Last year, she implicitly reaffirmed a 2018 promise that her current term would be the last one she would serve as Speaker of the House. The report continued. So, Speaker Pelosi is widely believed to be retiring due to insider reports, as well as recent reported purchase of a home in Florida. Why Florida? Is uh, California not good enough for her? Nancy Pelosi just went into contract to buy a Florida oceanfront mansion listed for $25 million dollars. Hedge fund manager Gabe Hoffman said, just check with the top broker in the area who confirmed this information. 10,000 uh, square foot property on Jupiter Island just changed to pending on the MLS. So, looks like she's going to retire in the state with a much more open economy. Fancy that. Let's look at this. It's not just Democrats in Congress who are dipping out. Two more Harris aides leaving, in addition to Sanders. These are Conway um, Harris's um, employees. Two more aides working in vice, so-called vice president Harris's office, are expected to leave their roles in the coming weeks, in addition to two high-profile exits uh, of press secretary and communications director. A source familiar with departures confirmed to the Hill. Peter Vel's I'm trying to get this pop-up out of the way. Where, where's, the, where's the clue? There it is. Peter Bells, who was the so-called Vice President's Director of Press Operations, and Vince Evans, the Deputy Director of the Office of Public Engagement and Intergovernmental Affairs for Harris, are planning to leave those positions soon, the source confirmed. Harris' office declined to comment. The Washington Post first reported on their impending exits. So... And by most accounts, Kamala Harris is just hell to work with. Like, she is, she was the least popular presidential candidate. And, like, she, she's famously corrupt. I don't know if you, uh, followed the, uh, president, the uh, Democratic debates in late 2019. But do you remember how, uh, Tulsi Gabbard ripped her to shreds over her unjust prosecutions of black men in California. No one really, really believes she and Biden won fair and square. It's like, how, how could they? Everyone hates her. Now, why are all these Democrats jumping ship? Well, maybe because the elections are on the up and up. So let's look at a local story from my area. In Cedar Rapids, Iowa, O'Donnell capitalizes in runoff. Runoff will be next Cedar Rapids mayor. This is from KCRG.com. Uh, Tiffany O'Donnell, leader of the group Iowa Women Lead Change and former news anchor in Cedar Rapids, will now lead the city as its new mayor. O'Donnell curb-stump challenger Amara Andrews, who was a businesswoman and an advocate for social justice, leader, finishing with 68% of the vote to Andrews's. 32%, and unofficial results released by the Lincoln County Auditor's office on Tuesday. So, yeah, so we had our, we had our, um, we had some local elections uh, in the beginning of November, and we had to have a runoff for the mayor's position because no one quite got 50% of the vote. But Tiffany O'Neill, who is a known conservative, she was endorsed by a former mayor, Ron Corbett, and she is a favorite of the Iowa Patriot Party. She she smoked it, and I knew she was going to win. For the same reason, I knew Trump was going to carry Iowa in 2020. When I came when I came to the polling place and wrote down my information, they asked for my ID. There's no ballot stuffing in this county, so so there. And you you you, you saw how. The Republicans won in Virginia this year. You saw how Edward Dur, uh, working-class truck driver in New Jersey, became the state senate president in that state, unseating a very long-term Democrat incumbent. You saw Republicans just pick, pick, pick Democrats off this year. You know the only, the only downside, the only like big loss I can see for the uh, Republicans. Or the conservatives was in California, with uh, Gavin Newsom, and you kind of wonder, were, um, were the Republicans in that state, were they um, as diligent as the ones in other states? So California needs some work. So let's see if she's a uh, let's see if Tiffany's gonna um, be fair to the. Small businesses in Cedar Rapids because Cedar Rapids, is a, you know, just just living here for the past few years. It's just, I've had to go down to Iowa City to do my uh, do a lot of my business because things were just kind of really stagnant in Cedar Rapids. So this is a, this is a good development. Now, what's something completely different? Alec Baldwin was on TV tonight. Let's see what some other people have to say about it. Deuce of Hazard actor John Schneider reacts to Alec Baldwin's claim that he didn't pull the trigger. This is from BountyintoComics.com. The Deuce of Hazard and Smallville actor John Schneider recently responded to Alec Baldwin's claim that he did not pull the trigger in the killing of Helena Hutchins on set on set of Rust. Baldwin claimed in a teaser trailer for the interview. With ABC News' George Stephanopoul- Stephanopoulos, that he did not pull the trigger on the gun used in Rust's director of photography, Helena Hutchins, The actor stated, well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't, pu- didn't pull the trigger. He further added, no, 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 no. I would never point a gun at anyone and pull the trigger at them. Never. Schneider responded to Baldwin's clean, and the trailer in general on his YouTube channel. Schneider begins his video stating, well, first of all, George Stephanopoulos is the postboy for leftist propaganda. Remember, George Stephanopoulos used to be on the um used to work for Bill Clinton when he was president, so he's he's very objective and fair, my dun wouldn't you say. Alright, the small little action continues. This is all designed to make us feel sorry for Alec Baldwin. Especially this, as you can imagine, Stephanopoulos said, he is devastated. But he was also very candid, he was very forthcoming. He answered every question. He talked about Helena, meeting with the family. He went into detail. And I have to tell you a I was surprised in many places over the course of that hour and twenty minutes to Santa day. This is investigative journalism. Okay, Schneider mocked Stephanopoulos. Schneider goes on to state that Baldwin's claim of the killing of Hutchins affected him so much was BS. After finishing recounting the trailer, the Deuce of Hazard actor went on to address Baldwin's claim that he didn't pull the trigger, saying, Are we to believe that a gun went off by itself. Are we to believe that someone didn't pull a trigger? Are we to believe that somehow, magically, on the first part of your teary-eyed, nonsensical journalism, that we believe that Alec didn't pull the trigger? Schneider then asserts, This is a wonderful business we all work in. We are honored and privileged to be a part of it. So when someone takes a crap, what obviously George and Alec have done here, and obviously this woman is still deceased, her family is still without a mother, without a wife, this is absurd. He then detailed, we are now starting to see the propaganda machine, so we're to believe this man is the victim. Three weeks ago, three weeks ago it was a propaganda. Four weeks ago, nobody knew how in the world this real weapon was loaded on the set, and today he didn't pull the trigger. What kind of idiots do you take this for? Schneider then pleads for law enforcement to continue investigating the killing of Hutchins, saying, Law enforcement, people who are in charge of this investigation, please do not stop investigating. Let's not forget, this was a single action. It was not a cult, it was a replica. I'm told. I read, right? Like everyone has read. He then detailed how a single-action weapon is fired. A single-action weapon needs to be cocked and fired. So what kind of videos did he take this for? So this, one, this wasn't done, and this wasn't done, and yet this gun went off and fired down. So, this goes on for a while, but it's good to know that there are some Hollywood, act- Hollywood actors who do have conscious. and I do think that quite a few celebrities are, you know, responsible, fair-minded people. They just haven't been safe enough to speak their minds lately. But you—you you saw how Nicki Minaj reacted to um, the vaccine mandates. She, she opened things wide open. I—I I remember. We'll say it's one of her um, Instagram uh, streams via. A, a great YouTuber named uh, Dr. Kon Bor- Borisenko, Minaj said she knows a lot of you know, people in the entertainment business who um, don't go in for the um, far left, you know, political line, but they're they're afraid to speak out. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of um, I think a lot of entertainers are becoming less afraid. So, what does uh, Baldwin say in the um, further here? So the interview was tonight. I didn't watch it because network television is like a lemon. Updated with additional comments. Alec Baldwin said in an interview with ABC News' George Stephanopoulos Stephanopoulos, that he doesn't worry that he will be criminally charged in the shooting that killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins on set of the movie Rust. I have been told by people who are in the know, in terms of even inside the state, that it's highly unlikely that I will be charged with anything criminally, he said. Santa Fe District Attorney... Mary Karmic Altweiss has not ruled out criminal charges as the investigation continues. So, I do not need to read any further. Uh, how many people really take Baldwin's as word here? Let's just move on. Star Wars news: John Favreau and Dave Filoni rumored to be in talks to lead Star Wars movies now. If you're a fellow geek like me, you've probably been torn, internally torn, by the Disney Star Wars sequel trilogy. Like, I thought Force, Awak- Force Awakens was okay. I was just really angry that they killed Han Solo without getting the whole game together. You know, Luke, Han, Leia, you know, the, the big three, before Carrie Fisher passed away. It's like, what a tragedy, and, and a big and a big part of that is the uh, total tyranny of the uh, Lucasfilm boss Kathleen Kennedy. Now, a lot of the um, a lot of the um YouTube channels I follow that deal in pop culture, they are so upset at Kathleen Kennedy. They they are like, they want her fired from Disney. They want her fired from Lucasfilm. And but she is she's entrenched in the Hollywood system. Like she's um. She might have good on a whole lot of studio executives, so she's not so easy to um get rid of. But if you follow um channels like Overlord DVD and Midnight's Edge, they kind of they kind of look at some. They do have like internal like you know informants, and they also have a great gentleman named Conor Pasha who's been been in the business for like many years. He they kind of analyze things pretty well, and they do say. Uh, can be, Kathleen is being, you know, reined in as much as Disney can. John Favreau, now, you pro- you've probably seen him, he's, um, he's, a, he's 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 an actor and he's a director. Um, if you remember, he actually was responsible for the, um, beginning of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, he was the director of the first Iron Man movie, just before Marvel and Marvel Studios was bought by Disney. So, he's really the one who's kind of set it all off. And now he's, he and John Filoni, or Dave Filoni, are um, running Star Wars properties like The Mandalorian on Disney+, and some of the uh, animated uh, Star Wars shows. Two different scoopers are claiming that both John Favreau and Dave Filoni, the creative team behind Lucasfilm's The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett, are in talks to begin making Star Wars movies. First, scooper Grace Randolph posted on Twitter, Twitter, Whoa, I hear John Favreau and Dave Filoni are in talks to head over to the movie side of Star Wars. It would be brilliant, she added. Not only would Randolph claim that Favreau and Filoni are headed to the movie side of Star Wars, but she also indicated that the Old Republic television series is in development. Randolph isn't the only scooper claiming that Filoni and Favreau were headed to the movie side of Star Wars. Scooper WDW Pro, at that park place, also claims that the Mandalorian creators are also in talks to make Star Wars films. WDW Pro claims, Sources that I, I have are telling me that John Favreau and Dave Filoni are being handed the keys to all future Star Wars movies for the foreseeable future. They plan to create a Star Wars cinematic universe that is wholly their own. All that is left is a bit of extra pay in negotiations and budgetary concerns, he added. Interestingly enough, WDW Pro also added, Kathleen Kennedy, while in charge of Lucasfilm for the next three years, is being stripped of any control of Star Wars outside of the Acolyte, which may be cancelled, and some tertiary projects. These two scoops from WDW Pro and Randolph aren't the first time we've heard of Felonian Favreau possibly working on a Star Wars film. Scooby Mikey Sutton claimed back in September of 2020 that a Mandalorian theatrical movie was being discussed. So, and the article goes on, but this is, this is important because really since like 2015 or 2016 when Donald Trump made the political scene, the entertainment world has just been like um, bonkers with its um, far left, you know, far left messaging. You know, they've been, it's not even liberal or conservative. They've just been like totally hacking away at Western values of, you know, you know, democratic principles, you know, the importance of positive male role models, um, not even positive female role models. You know, um, Disney fired Gina Carano from the uh, Mandalorian series. You know, she was a very important fan favorite character. She was a strong female character who was a good role model. She wasn't, like, forced or ham-fisted in her portrayal. And they can handle that. They can handle anything genuine. Well, it looks like audiences are fighting back. Um, Bob Chapek, the uh, current uh, CEO of Disney, he's been um, making some moves to kind of put the power back in the audience's hand, hands like he's been, he's been building up some of the um, merchandising and um, some, some of the merchandising art uh, divisions of Disney and also the theme parks. Merchandising and buying products like buying toys and things like that—that's a very good indicator of what characters and what properties the uh, the fans really support. So that's a good move. Like Bob Chapek, he's um. He has his faults. He has he, was, he used to be the division head of the theme parks, and he's he's a cheapskate. He's a mon, he's a he's a he's a money man, but I kind of think Disney needs that because Disney is like deep in debt after buying so many other assets during um, Bob Iger's uh, leadership. Let's look at some Hollywood box office numbers because. We're gonna see what audiences are you know supporting. In Kento and Ghostbusters Afterlife split families, House of Gucci, best opening for a drama in two years. Thanksgiving box office Sunday update. So yeah, all the um all the geek all the nerd fandom menace blogs I follow, they love Ghostbusters Afterlife. They feel like it actually respects the um the lore and and the tone of the original two Ghostbusters movies, unlike the uh, Ghostbusters twenty sixteen film, which was again very hamfisted. Like, there's nothing wrong with like female lead characters, but to- Ghostbusters twenty sixteen was very obnoxious about it. And Ghostbusters Afterlife makes a very good, you know, case study in how a female lead can be a positive, and re- you know, positive. Because I believe, uh, the main character of, um, Ghostbusters Afterlife, it's a young, it's a young girl who's, like, might be related to, a uh, Egon. But, um, but yeah, Ghostbusters Afterlife is doing pretty good. Um, it's been, it, it kind of aided to, um, Encanto. I'm not even sure what is about. I barely saw any marketing for it. But, um... i us look at some reviews on that. But, um, let's look at what else is going on. Spider-Man No Way Home seeing biggest Fandango's pre-sales since Avengers Endgame. So, you know, I thought Hollywood was done after Avengers Endgame. Like, that was the last hurrah for the the traditional studio system. But, um, maybe not. I mean... There's no probably better beloved superhero than Spider-Man. Maybe Batman. They're neck and neck, but Peter Parker is like the most relatable, aw you know, lovable protect, protagonist there might have ever, be, ever might have ever been. While some of in the industry are still trying to blame a lackluster box office on the pandemic, think again. Sony's Spider-Man. No Way Home, in its first day of pre-sales yesterday on Fandango, saw its best day since 2019 Avengers Endgame. The pre-sales for Spider-Man No Way Home, which opens on December 17th, outstripped the first day advance tickets of Black Widow in two hours' time. That Disney Marvel movie previously owing the online ticket retailer's best record of 2021. So, I mean, people like Black Widow, but they don't like seeing her, you know, Humiliated in the way that, you know, the Black Widow movie did, you know. Everyone says that the Black Black Widow movie was just not very well done. Also... Hawkeye viewership, 40% behind the Loki premiere in Samba Measured Disney Plus Homes. So this is um the other of the last of the original Avengers, Hawkeye. Um, He's getting his own, you know, Disney Plus series, or rather, this character Kate Bishop, who's going to probably take up his mantle. Is getting the um series, and um, yeah, streaming services are kind of funny because you really can't measure their um their ratings. You kind of have to, you kind of have to trust what the companies themselves say. But uh, Samba is a service that's available on smart TVs, and they actually to, um, measure, record what's going on on screens, so they can, Samba so can actually tell what um what what streaming content is um popular, at least on what they're on what they're um operating on. But Hawkeye is down. And was like all these indie Plus series that are based on Marvel, on Marvel properties, it was a in a huge, you know, huge start with the WandaVision. then then um Falcon Winter Soldier kind of like went down a little bit. Loki was was popular, but. It kind of looks like uh, Disney's seeing some diminishing returns with all this content. It's like they're trying to pump it out, but they're not getting as much bang for the buck as they used to. Um, Last night, I shared an article um, I found reviewing the um, Cowboy Bebop reboot on Netflix. Um, The live-action remake of the legendary uh, anime. I really think Cowboy Bebop might be the greatest TV show of all time, live-action, animated or otherwise. And what the live-action remake gets wrong is just the tone, some of the um, the pacing, the quiet moments. It's just there for content's sake. It doesn't really let, you know, it doesn't really let the artwork, it doesn't really let the art kind of breathe so it's just most people like her just hate cake CalBiew up, And I think people are just kind of getting tired of content for content's sake. They want good quality, you know, meaningful you know, content to read. You know, that's why people that's why YouTube is so huge, because it's not huge Hollywood production, it's just regular folks expressing their own views their own real life um knowledge opinions so i would upload to youtube but they they're getting censored happy and it just takes forever to load videos so you can find me on facebook or podcast or odyssey so we have been following the um glenn maxwell trial There's no update on Techno blog today, so let's look at Intercity Press. And Intercity Press, their cover their coverage is really choppy, so it's kinda of hard to read here, so I'll just kinda of like go over some of the quotes here. Uh, the Maxwell trial Epstein photos with Pope and Fidel raised along with Dildos by Palm Beach House Manager. So Southern District of New York Courthouse, December 2nd. Clay Maxwell charged with okay. These might be stenographer notes. I, I need to look at this closer. But basically, it's um this is just continuing on the um I guess it's just like in-person recording of the um, of the trial here. I don't think I'll read the whole thing or much of anything because it's it doesn't it's very choppy. But I, I urge you to go to the innercitypress.com and read it for yourself, because this is something that we, this is something that the public needs to uh, press on. You know, we made a big deal about following the Kyle has trial, and this is just as important, so, you can see the press. And, we're almost done. I think we're going to wrap it up by pointing and laughing at Twitter. This last article, from NicheGamer.com, talks about Twitter banning private media, images of private individuals without permission. So, a huge clampdown on content on Twitter, thanks to the uh, new CEO. Now, someone someone mentioned. I heard someone mention. This could have been just an immediate decision by a new boss. This had to be in the works for months or even years because think how long it takes for um, programming and software development to um take place. Twitter had announced that images of private media images, images of private individuals without permission of the subject, will be banned. As stated on Twitter's blog, the social media giant's existing private information policy is being updated to include private media. This comes one day after former CEO Jack Dorsey stepped down with former C- Chief Technology Officer Parag Agarwal replacing him. So we'll kind of, we kind of, um we'll skip over this there. but now let's look at some of the um tweets that are um, being made about this as soon as they load up we can read the text of these tweets shamant says let me say something this is going to hit police videos like hell which means you're going to see people get away with harming minorities yeah just think how many court cases are going to be decided by video cover you know, can't, live video coverage of the, um, crime-taking place? Like, how do you think, how do you think, um, Kyle Rynhouse was exonerated because someone filmed him clearly defending himself? Okay, well, this next week. Looks like Twitter attempting to stop any information sharing, research, discoveries, and, and facts of events that are against their political interests, says The Last Refuge. This tweet says, this is an unworkable policy. Obviously, of course, it is beautifully constructed to allow Twitter to protect its friends and punish, hobble others with selective enforcement, all while pretending to be impartial and interested only in the safety of the community," says Brett Weinstein. Cigar and Genty, and he in a crystal ball, have a great YouTube channel. They used to be part of the uh, Hill.com. Cigar says, "This is why choosing a career engineer as CEO was the wrong move." None of the big problems that Twitter faces for the next five years are tech ones. They are socio-political, require principles of forethought as to how policy applies in controversial controversial use cases. Keemstar says this is going to be abused so badly. Uh is that Tim Dog or Tim Fisher836 says, this sounds like another way to selectively get rid of people with and suspend conservative. That's kind of worded of terror. Wordly awkwardly. Jeff Pierce says, "Cute." did they explain how that's going to work for sharing investigative reports, media commentary, even retweets? Do tell us how you're going to police a gazillion images or videos that may, in fact, be public domain. Morgan Archikina says, Twitter gives a huge middle finger to journalism by allowing people to get damning images and videos of themselves removed from other people's posts are at Ordinary Gamers says, What about memes? With this policy, you can kill like 90, 95% of the site right there. Crowds? fuck that too, I guess. Jack Sobiek says, Under Twitter's new private media regulations, we wouldn't have been allowed to post screenshots of Daryl Brooks' Facebook posts. Daryl Brooks, the uh, suspect who killed a bunch of people in Waukesha. Bad guy. A large naked man says, Ha <laughs> ha How the fuck can this even be enforced? Means that feature people or any image you take that has people in the background could be taken down. This is like ninety percent of the images and videos they post on Twitter. He continues. Took a nice picture of the Eiffel Tower, but you can see other tourists in it, so can't upload it. Here's a video of a guy who who broke into my car, but he's a private individual, so I can't upload it. Here's a funny meme, but shit, but shit, I never asked a guy if I could post it, so can't upload it. So people are just on Twitter are just roasting this policy up, you know, to high to high heaven, and it's, it's wonderful to see. Like I said in the last, like I said in the last program episode, the elites are getting desperate. The people are waking up. The people are shuffling off the uh, the shackles. It's like. We're, we're, getting, we're getting so wise to how the elite players kind of like scratch 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 each other's backs, and you're not taking anymore. So, and one of the best things you can do to um take control of your um life and your and your income is take control of the money, and take control of the money by taking control of assets. So once again, I urge you to uh click on the link and. Um, Take advantage of cryptocurrency and gold through my affiliate links. So support yourself and support the channel. Support the program. And I think I'll let you go. This is Nate Hasselman reminding you it's okay to stand up for yourself. Have a good one.